Thank you. Good morning. Are you ready for the word today? Amen. Uh, my message is entitled, A Bully Called Fear. So what's a bully? The definition of a bully as a noun, according to the dictionary, is a person who uses strength or power to harm or intimidate those who are weaker. As a verb, it's someone who uses superior strength or influence to intimidate someone, typically to force him or her to do what one wants. The synonyms are persecute, oppress, tyrannize, harass, torment, intimidate, and dominate. The Wikipedia definition of bullying is the use of force, threat, or or coercion to abuse, intimidate, or aggressively dominate others. The behavior is often repeated and habitual. Bullying is divided into four different categories or types of abuse. Emotional, sometimes called relational, verbal, physical, and cyber. It typically involves subtle methods of coercion, such as intimidation. In psychology today, bullying is a distinctive pattern of harming and humiliating others, specifically those who are smaller, weaker, younger, or in any way more vulnerable than the bully. Bully is not a garden-variety aggression. It is a deliberate and and repeated attempt to cause harm to others of lesser power. How many of you like bullies? No, I don't think so. You know what? Bullies couldn't exist without victims, and they don't pick on just anyone. Those singled out lack assertiveness and radiate fear long before they ever come in contact with a bully. No one likes a bully, but you know what? Nobody likes a victim either. In psychology today, it says that fear is a vital response to physical and emotional danger. If we didn't feel it, we couldn't protect ourselves from legitimate threats. So what are some legitimate threats or some healthy fears? Well, everybody knows that if a burner is on on a stove, you don't want to put your hand on it, right? Isn't that a healthy fear? (laughs) I would say so. What about if you're standing too close to the edge of a cliff? That's a healthy fear, right? Or driving too fast and trying to make a curve. You're not going to make that curve if you don't slow down. That's a legitimate fear. So those are okay. But when we fear situations that are far from life or death situations, then, you know, that's a little over the top there. Traumas or bad experiences can trigger a fear response in us that is hard to quell. Now remember, this is psychology today that's saying this part here as well. Yet exposing ourselves to our personal demons is the best way to move past them. I want to tell you a little story for a second here. I want you to picture four figures over here, one figure over here, three smaller ones here, and one that's really huge and intimidating. And he's giving orders to those three to come over here and attack a figure that's over here. So meanwhile, he's giving instructions, he's giving orders, and the three of them take off to go over here to bully this one figure. How do you feel about that? Does it make you mad? What if that was your child? Oh, and every parent in the house raises up, not my kid, <laughs> right? But what if that person or figure being intimidated is you? 
what are you going to do about it? I want, you to really, I want you to really think about that for a minute. So we're going to name these bullies. Bully number one is called anxiety. Anybody suffer from anxiety? Psychology today says anxiety or extreme apprehension and worry is a normal reaction to stressful situations, but in some cases it becomes excessive and can cause sufferers to dread everyday situations. Other anxiety-related disorders include panic attacks. Anybody suffer from panic attacks? Which are severe episodes of anxiety which happen in response to specific triggers. And obsessive-compulsive disorder, which is marked by, I want you to really hear this, by persistent intrusive thoughts or compulsions to carry out specific behaviors. Generally, anxiety arises often during childhood. Early traumatic experiences can also reset the body's normal fear processing system so that it is hyper-reactive to stress. The most effective treatments for anxiety are behavioral. Hmm. Such treatments often involve gradually exposing patients to the situations they fear. So what is it saying? We can change our behaviors. We can stand up to these things. We don't have to let them bully us. It, anxiety, or anxiety. Psychology today says that drugs may help people control their anxiety during treatment, but don't usually cure the condition. Let me say this. You will never cure a spiritual condition with a natural remedy. Okay? You will never change a spiritual problem with a, medic- with a natural remedy. Drugs are not going to change it. They will suppress the symptoms. Anxiety medicine will make you sleepy. I know. I've had to take it before. I don't take it anymore because you know what? That thing does not have authority over me anymore. Okay. Bully number two is called panic disorder. A person with panic disorder experiences sudden and repeated episodes of intense fear accompanied by physical symptoms such as chest pain, heart palpitations, breathlessness, vertigo, or abdominal distress. Anybody ever have those? Not fun. Panic disorder sufferers often develop phobias about places where previous episodes have occurred, such as restaurants, shopping malls. They also develop fears about experiences they have that have set off previous attacks, such as a, taking an airplane flight, being in a car accident, Approximately 2.4 million Americans, or 1.7% of the population, between the ages of 18 and 54, suffer from panic disorder each year. Do you know that women are twice as likely as men to suffer from this disorder? So as a teacher, I'm going to give you a test now. How many times have I mentioned fear so far? Anybody been counting? Just me, I guess. Anybody have a guess? You read my message, dear. You, my husband read my message. He can't. No fair. Eight times. Eight times. 
Did you? Well, good for you. I bet, I bet Britta has maybe an extra candy she could give you for guessing. <laughs> okay, bully number three is called worry. So I'm going to give you the definition of worry according to the dictionary, and I would really like you to play, pay close attention to the third definition when I get there. Number one, to torment oneself with or suffer from disturbing thoughts, to fret. Number two, to torment with cares, anxieties, etc., to trouble or to plague. Number three, to seize, especially by the throat, with the teeth and shake or mangle as one animal does another. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that third definition, it really hit me like a ton of bricks because I've been known to be a worrier. Think about that. Think about a large predator and a small animal that's its prey. Where does it grab it if it's trying to kill it? Right around the throat. Okay. Do you know that in your throat, well, let me, let me read number four first. To harass by repeated biting and snapping, etc. The next picture I would like you to look at is a picture of the throat. There are jugular veins on both sides of the throat, and there are carotid arteries on both sides of the throat, along with other arteries and veins. When that predator seizes its prey around the throat, it severs the jugular veins and the carotid arteries, as well as the other veins and arteries. Do you know that when those things are severed, the, the veins and arteries, that it takes less than two minutes to bleed out? And I also read that if you have high blood pressure, you bleed out quicker. And the reason I bring this out is because it so impacted me, and I just believe that this impacted you. The trachea or the windpipe is also crushed in this episode. And so it's a quick death. Can you imagine for a minute the death grip that worry has on our lives? Psychology today says worry and guilt are opposite sides of a wooden nickel. Two useless emotions facing different directions. Worry looks ahead, seeing threat and disaster at every turn. Guilt looks behind, imposing self-blame for perceived misfortunes or disappointments. I'm going to give you some basic principles that psychology today says, but what I want you to do is think about what God's word says because God's word was around way before psychology today and any psychologist. But this is what psychology today says. Number one, behind every disturbing emotion is a disturbing thought. Does that sound familiar with scripture? Number two, disturbing thoughts contain logical flaws or distortions, such as being too harsh on yourself, exaggerating the importance of negative events, and focusing only on the negatives, etc. You know, merely thinking something doesn't make it so. Number three, to control negative emotions, you need to take control of the thoughts that lay behind them. 
Number four, capturing disturbing thoughts involves monitoring or recording your inner speech or self-talk. What does Proverbs say? As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Thoughts. Number five, once you capture a disturbing thought banging around in your head, you need to examine it in the light of the evidence. Asking yourself questions like, why am I thinking like this? Is there any validity to that thought? Are there any inconsistencies about it? What disputes that thought? Are there other ways of thinking about, fill in the blank, family, friends, finances, career? Expose the logical flaws and inconsistencies in each disturbing thought. I like this one. Number six, strike back against offending thoughts with a rational counterpunch. Anybody in here ever been in boxing or martial arts? Besides us. What's a counterpunch? When somebody throws a punch at you, you counter it with another punch. Right? Do you know that with a... <laughs> my friend's laughing. You know with a counterpunch that you can turn a defensive situation into an offensive situation. You fight back. Number seven, to strengthen more adaptive thinking, practice your, ra your rational self-statements several times a day. How many times in the past have we been told to write scriptures down in certain situations that we're having problems with in those scriptures to combat those thoughts or those emotions? Number eight, substitute rational self-statements whenever you start muttering a disturbing thought to yourself or when you experience a disturbing emotion. Do you know that there is a Hebrew word in the Old Testament that's Hagah, and that means to meditate or to mutter. So we need to be muttering the word of God to ourselves instead of muttering all this other junk. In summary, we need to think what's going through our mind. Next, we need to stop repeating negative thoughts to yourself. And three, substitute rational thoughts in place of anxious thoughts, depressing thoughts, angering thoughts, guilting thoughts, or worrying thoughts. Bully number four is fear. He's the ruler. He's the general. Psychology today says fear is one of those basic emotions that has become so pervasive, it's almost like the air many people breathe. It's based on emotional baggage from the past that hasn't been released. It's focused on threats and dangers that aren't real, or if real, not as serious as the fear would have us believe. Fear can lead us to hide, to run away, or to freeze in our shoes. So let's summarize for a minute. Fear is caused by a real or, or perceived threat to our well-being. Anxiety means being uneasy and nervous about something we can't control, an event, a person, or a problem. Worry is to mentally dwell on difficulty or trouble. Scripture says, do not worry, do not be anxious, and do not fear. God would never command us to do something if we didn't have the ability not to do it. Many times we focus on the symptoms rather than the source. 
we think about the fruits or we, we focus on the fruits rather than the root. The fruits of fear are panic, anxiety, worry, and stress. But we need to focus more on the root of fear. Every fear is rooted in something. Many times fear is rooted in an orphan spirit. A person with an orphan spirit has a sense of rejection, abandonment, isolation, loneliness, and alienation. Or it could, or it could be a traumatic event that's played over and over in our heads. It could be something that someone said or did to us that hurt us. And we still believe that lie today. It could be something our parents said to us. The key is finding out what is triggering the fear. Fear can be rooted in the soul, and our soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions. That is where the battlefield is. It's where the enemy can confuse, distract, and lie to us. His strategy is simple. Keep us trapped in lies and keep the truth hidden from us. Because when we know the truth, guess what? The truth will set us free. Let's talk for a minute about strongholds. Strongholds are areas in our lives that are wounded and create problems in our lives, like fear, addiction, anger, and other unwanted actions in our lives. So how do strongholds work in our lives? The cycle typically begins with some sort of event that drives us to question the truth. Isn't that what happened in the Garden of Eden? For many, it's a childhood event that was traumatic or painful. Maybe it's something someone said or did to you, or maybe it's something that you experienced. After that happens, the enemy knows that we're vulnerable, and he'll take that opportunity to whisper a lie into our minds. And the thing is that he will speak to us in the first person as if it's our own voice speaking to us, saying, well, if God was really with me, he wouldn't let that happen. That's a lie. God is with you all the time. He never leaves you or forsakes you. But the problem is, is we believe the lie. Then the stronghold takes root once we believe that lie. Once we agree with the lie in our hearts, then we start building a defense around those events. It could be a defense in our mind that says, I will not let people like that hurt me again. Anybody been there? Or it could be a physical defense saying, I'm not going to go near that person or I'm not going to go near that place. Once the lie is at work through this defense, then we begin to experience two kinds of responses. We now respond to the world differently and others respond differently to us. And the cycle of events continues, and it's a vicious cycle because we go over and over and over it again. God doesn't come into our lives to always take away our problems. Instead, he gives us the strength to overcome them. So I'm going to give you two scriptures right here that really summarizes those basic principles that psychology today says. 2 Corinthians 10 chapter or 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 3 to 5 in the King James version says for though we walk in the flesh we do not war after the flesh for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds 
casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Okay, it's talking about what? It's talking about thoughts. It's talking about imaginations. I used to tell some of my students, it begins with a thought, it goes to an imagination, and then it becomes a stronghold. So what are you thinking about? Philippians 4.8 says, in the King James Version, Finally, my brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. So what are we supposed to think about? The negatives or the word? The word. 1 John 4.18 in the NIV says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Isaiah 54.17 in the New King James Version says, No weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue that rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. So understand what this means. No weapon formed against you will prosper. But I'm going to insert an unless. Unless you give it power over you. Worry, fear, and anxiety exist because we allow them to. What we fear controls us. Fear has a loud voice and we need to silence it with the word of God. God has told us, fear not, many times in his word, because he understands the enemy's tactics to try to intimidate us in order to keep us from inheriting our promised land. God has said, fear not. So in other words, he's saying, don't pay attention to it. Get in the presence of the Lord. There is an acrostic for fear, F-E-A-R, and it's false evidence appearing real. The devil is a bully. He's bluffing. Confront it, whatever it is. You don't have to take it. You don't have to be bullied by him. You have authority over him. I'm going to give you some fear and worry statistics from the U.S. National Institute of Mental Health dated September 4, 2016. The percentage of things feared that will never take place is 60%. The percentage of things feared that are considered to be insignificant for you, 90%. Percentage of things feared in relation to health that will never happen, 88%. So why do we let fear bully us? I have to say I I disagree with psychology today and the fact that they say that fear is an emotion because God says it's a spirit. Fear is a spiritual force that affects your emotions, but it's not an emotion. Just as faith is a spiritual force, it's not an emotion. Faith is the power that God uses to create And fear is the power that the devil uses to destroy. Fear within exaggerates the causes of fear without. That's what the commentary 
commentary critical and explanatory of the whole Bible. That's hard to say. It's up there. The fear meant is that of which the causes are in the mind. That's where the fear likes to hit you is in the mind. So rather than from without. The fear within, in too great a degree, exaggerate the causes which are without. So what does that mean? So when you have fear inside you, the fear outside of you is going to magnify. The act of fear always has its cause in the mind, but a courageous disposition repels and overcomes external causes. 2 Timothy 1.7 in the King James Version says, For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power of love, and of a sound mind. The word for fear in the Greek means timidity and cowardice. The word for power in the Greek is the word dunamis, and it means force, miraculous power, a miracle itself, mighty work, ability, and abundance. The word for love is the Greek word agape. It's the God kind of love, which is a self-sacrificing love. And the phrase sound mind is taken from the Greek word sophroneo. Sophroneo is a Greek compound word, which means it's been taken from two other words and combined together. The first word is sozo, and the second word is phroneo, and you can look those up in the Strong's Concordance. But sophroneo is the compound word, and it pictures a mind that has been delivered, rescued, revived, salvaged, and protected, and brought into a place of safety and security. So even if your mind is tempted to surrender to fear, as was the case with Timothy, you can allow God's word and the Holy Spirit to work in you, to deliver, to rescue, to revive, to salvage your mind. This means your reasoning, which is your thought processes, your will, your decision-making processes, and your emotions can be shielded from the illogically absurd, unfounded thoughts that we have in our mind that tend to grip our mind. So we could translate 2 Timothy 1.7 like this. God has not given you a spirit of timidity and cowardice, but of miraculous power and ability. And of self-sacrificing love. There's nothing like the self-sacrificing love of God. He has given you a mind that has been delivered, rescued, revived, salvaged, protected, and brought into a place of safety and security so that it is no longer affected by illogical, unfounded, and absurd thoughts. So what I would like you to do for just a second, check my time here, is I would like you to personalize that. So it's up there so that you can read it, but instead of saying God has not given you a spirit of timidity and cowardice, I want you to say God has not given me a spirit of timidity and cowardice. Because let me tell you, preparing this message, I've had this prepared since December. (laughs) And fear has hit me at every turn with this message. And I have come and I have spoken that against the enemy and said, and say it with me if you would, 
God has not given me a spirit of timidity and cowardice, but a miraculous power and ability and of self-sacrificing love. He has given me a mind that has been delivered, rescued, revived, salvaged, protected, and brought into a place of safety and security so that it is no longer affected by illogical, unfounded, and absurd thoughts. There's your weapon. Use it. I have been. (laughs) You see, when your mind is guarded by the word of God, you think differently. The word of God is allowed to work in your mind and it safeguards your emotions. It defends your mind from demonic assault. And it shields you from arrows the enemy may try to shoot in your direction to cause a spirit of fear to rise up inside of you. We don't control what happens in our lives, but we do control how we react to it. Fear has no power unless we allow it to bully us. Fear is a bully. He gives you nothing. He only takes. So does worry. So does anxiety. So does stress. So does panic. It takes from you. It robs from you. It robs your peace. How to overcome fear. Number one, make a choice to face that fear. Confront it. Stand up to it. Are you going to allow that spirit of fear to bully you, or are you going to stand up to it? Number two, make a choice to trust God. Those three scriptures there are, have to do with prayer, and there are many more, but those three I just love. I love them all, but these three especially. Prayer is a sign of trusting God. If you pray, God will give you the confidence to face that fear. Number three, make a choice to change your focus. The more we focus on fear, the bigger it becomes. The more we focus on any problem or negativity, the bigger it becomes. Focus on God. Hebrews 12.2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. The Greek word for looking is aphorao, and it means to consider attentively. It's a verb that means to look away from one thing so as to see another. It means to concentrate the gaze upon. You know, when I worked at Teen Challenge, Pastor Bob, who was the director there, Joy, always used to tell us, and everyone there, focus like a laser beam. Focus like a laser beam. (laughs) I'll never forget that. (laughs) You know what? We need to focus like a laser beam on the word of God and speak the word of God into our circumstances. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, it tells the story of David and Goliath, and everybody's familiar with that. talks about Goliath and how he taunted and insulted and tormented and bullied the Israelites. He defied the army of Israel. In verse 11, it says the Israelites were dismayed and greatly afraid. Dismayed means a sudden and complete loss of courage in the face of trouble or danger. And that's how we feel when we face our giants or our fears or our bullies. This went on for 40 days, morning and evening. In verse 24 in the New King James Version, it says, And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, meaning Goliath, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. Goliath was a bully. 
But David defeated him with the Lord's help. How did he do that? With the three steps I just told you. David chose to face the giant or the bully. He made a choice to trust God to deliver him. And he chose to focus on God. Verse 37 says, Moreover, David said, and as you listen to these declarations, you can make these declarations too, you know. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. He can deliver you from your bully. Verse 46, the first part of that says, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. You can say that to the devil, you know. That spirit of fear. I'm going to strike you, and I'm going to take your head from you. Do you know what the head represents? The head represents authority. You have the right to take that authority because Christ gave you the authority. And the only way we're going to defeat fear also is to repent of the sin of fear. Because Scripture says, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So repent of it. And then take authority over it and do something about it. Zig Ziglar says that F-E-A-R has two meanings. Forget everything and run, or face everything and rise. Everything in life begins with a choice. Salvation begins with a choice. Deliverance begins with a choice. Victory begins with a choice. Scripture says, Choose ye this day whom ye will serve. Joshua twenty four fifteen. You can't be in faith and in fear at the same time. It's like facing two different directions at the same time. That's totally impossible. Unless you're split in half, maybe. <laughs> I don't think so. So what will you choose? Will you choose faith or will you choose fear? The choice is yours. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Lord, I just thank you for all these beautiful people. Lord, I thank you for your word. And Lord, I just ask right now that you would pinpoint the root of fear in any of their lives. Lord, I pray that you would give them the courage to stand on your word and to face the bullies in their lives. I thank you for your grace and your mercy. I thank you for the authority and your word that you've given us. I thank you, Lord, that the devil and the world is under our feet, and that we can rise up and we can be strong and we can take authority and we can live in victory. And Lord, I just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.